Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast network. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is the first episode of the Deep Dives podcast over here on the No Ceilings NBA feed. So excited to be here to move the NBA Deep Dives podcast over to this feed for season seven of the podcast. And we're going to start off our first episode on the new feed with a draft deep dive. And I couldn't imagine anybody better to talk with or any prospect better to talk about than discussing his recent article on Jalen hood Chafino with Maxwell Baumbach. Maxwell, how are you doing this fine Tuesday afternoon? I'm doing great. I am fired up to talk about this. Like it's He's just one of these guys that Jalen hood Chafino has been on my mind for months. Loved digging into his high school film over the summer. Loved writing this article about him. And I'm excited to talk about him with you as well and kind of get your insights on him as well. He has been one of my favorite prospects to evaluate in the pre-college season part of the draft cycle. So super excited to talk about Jalen Hutchifino with you here today. A few quick bookkeeping notes before we dive deep into the film on Jalen Hutchifino. So the NBA Deep Dives podcast is now the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA feed. So we will be alternating weeks between prospect deep dives on draft deep dives episodes where we will be talking in depth about a draft prospect or two that we have recently written about on noceilingsmba.com. So you want to check out those articles, noceilingsmba.com. And then every other week I will be meeting with draft deepers own Nathan Gribble to do NBA deep dives and talk about some of the most exciting young players in the NBA. Of course, this is the Wednesday episode of the new daily No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. So surely you had Maxwell in your earbuds on Monday as part of the Draft Deeper crew. You probably, hopefully, listened to me and Stephen Gillespie yesterday on the debut episode of Home and Away here on the feed. And now today, the first Deep Dives episode here on the No Ceilings NBA feed for those of you who have been longtime listeners to the NBA Deep Dives podcast, thank you so much for hopping over here to the No Ceilings NBA feed to listen to us and to see us for the first time. This is my first video podcast that I've been hosting. So if anything goes wrong, clearly it's the fault of that and definitely nothing else that either of us did. Definitely just my innocence <laughs> and naivete here on our first video podcast. But for those of you who are first time listeners, welcome, welcome. The format for the podcast is going to be basically what I just laid out, alternating between draft deep dives and NBA deep dives. And today, again, we have a draft deep dive on one of my favorite prospects to evaluate in this class so far, Jalen Hood Shafino, who Maxwell, you wrote about in depth on the day that we are recording this, which is Tuesday mm -hmm. afternoon, you know, a bit of behind the scenes work here for those of you who are listening to this on Wednesday. And I wanted to start with the place where you started in terms of the skill breakdowns for Jalen Hood Shafino, which is also by far my favorite part of his incredibly intriguing skill set, his playmaking. So I want to just start by getting a summary from you. What did you think about Jalen Hood Shafino's playmaking when you saw it on tape? Yeah, it's great. 
Um, (laughs) And it's great in a lot of different ways. I think the first thing that I like to look at when evaluating a player that doesn't immediately jump off the page as this is going to be a franchise player in the NBA, which is how well do they make quick decisions? If he needs to just make the extra pass on the perimeter or make a snappy read, uh, just quick hit the open man in a pick and roll. Can he do that? And he does. Uh, and that's just kind of like level one, like that, that is out of the way um, where I think he really has a chance to pop is with everything that he else that he does as a playmaker. He is really, really smart uh, just as a pick and roll operator in particular mature beyond his years um, really can take his time when he needs to, but when he has the opening, he just exploits it right away. Um, so when he needs to be patient, he can be, when he needs to be aggressive, he will be aggressive. Um, does a great job of pressuring the rim. He'll reject screens and pick and rolls. If his man dies on the screen, he'll use that to, to blow by the bigger man. Uh, just very, very smart and calculated. Uh, his passing bag is phenomenal. He can pass out of a live dribble with both his left and right hand. Um, so there's not, it's not a situation like last year, Tari Eason, like turned the ball over almost 40% of the time when he was forced left. Uh, and I'm not like saying it's just like dump on Tari or anything, but like you can, like if, if you were able to force him in that direction, which isn't easy because he's very strong and very fast, there was a way to kind of like limit what he could do off the bounce with Gino Hachifino. Like that's not really on the table. Um, just so yeah, it, at any time he might just sling the ball to whoever's open. Uh, great lob passer, great bounce passer when he needs to thread the needle, great hitting guys on the perimeter, good eyes for the corner, uh, and an excellent inbounder as well. Like if you need to run an ATO play or you're just looking for something quick and easy off an inbounds, he's, he's great at inbounding the ball too. So there's no area of his passing that I really have doubts about. And his handle is really solid. Does a good job keeping it in tight. He's not the flashiest in terms of what he does with his dribble, but he's effective. So I'm glad you mentioned the flashiness because I think that sort of connects back to what I think is the most baseline important thing with Jalen Hochefino, which is, as you mentioned, his incredibly good decision-making. I mean, there are playmakers and, you know, you mentioned Tari Eason as someone who struggles going to his left and it's become, you know, sort of cliche to dump on Russell Westbrook at this point, but, you know, he's someone who definitely has the highlight passes in his bag, but doesn't always make the best decisions with the ball in his hands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're talking about someone like Hochefino, you know, a six-six playmaker type who maybe if we're talking about him at the next level is going to be more of a connector than a primary on-ball type of guy, I think it's critical that he's already shown his ability to just make the right reads out of passing plays. And, you know, that's where I think his diversity of passing skill also comes into play. You know, if there's an opening in the corner you can rely on Hood Shafino to reliably make that kick out pass rather than, you know, being like, hmm, I'm not sure I can make that right-handed cross-court sling pass. So I'm just going to try and dump it down low and see what happens. And, you know, maybe ball gets stuck in traffic, gets turned over in the post, something like that. You know, with Hood mm-hmm. Shafino, it's not just that he can make, I mean, he has some passes that look really exceptional, but, you know, it's not yeah. really the highlight passes as much that stand out to me as, his maturity and understanding of the game already. And, you know, it's not just that he can make all the kinds of passes that he needs to make. It's that he sees which ones are the best ones. You know, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe if I, you know, kick to the corner here, then the corner shooter is not open, but it's an easy swing to the wing. And then it's a hockey assist, you know, something that doesn't necessarily show up in the box score, 
but clearly shows up in terms of benefiting your team, you know, turning a good shot into a great one just by, you know, not just making the passes directly to the assists, but also making the passes that sort of get the offense in a flow. Yeah. And that's one of those things that I, it just tends to be criminally underrated, especially because like mm-hmm. we are people that are on, you know, we're on Twitter. We see the same things everybody else sees. And it's, it's really easy for people to see highlight exciting passes. And it's not like Jalen hood, some boring player where everything is like, no, no, no. my numbers test pass. Like he's very exciting, but it's never flashy for the sake of flashy. And I think yes. that's one of the things that I, I really appreciate about him. And there's nothing wrong with being flashy. And he can be, like I said, like this is a guy who will sling like, quick one-handed passes with either hand but at the same time yeah it's never it feels like he can make really advanced impressive passes but he never does it to be impressive it's more about the effectiveness rather than like hey wouldn't it be cool if i throw this one with one hand with my offhand like it's never about that it's always just about like hey this is the best way to fit this ball through this window and get it to my guy in a timely manner and, you know, this is jumping ahead a bit, given that he hasn't even started his first scene of college basketball yet. But yeah, yeah. You know, just in terms of sort of looking at what his NBA future might be, I think it's crucial that, you know, he has the size to be someone who could play on the wing. And he has that ability to, you know, make the right pass as a connector rather than just as a primary guy, which for me makes it easier to see, you know, where he might fit in at the next level. And part of that is the variety of the rest of his skill set, which we'll get into in the rest of the podcast. But, you know, just in terms of purely looking at it before he enters the college basketball season. I mean, if I'm thinking about Jalen hood Shafino three years down the line, five years down the line, you know, I see him very easily fitting into many different NBA rotations because, you know, he's someone who you can rely on to, again, serve as a connector, you know, bring the rest of the offensive pieces together and we'll get into his scoring package certainly, but just in terms of the first skill, I think that, you know, if the rest of his skill set balances out, which spoiler alert, I think it will, then I think that will really allow his playmaking to sort of get him on the court. And then, you know, the rest of his game is what will hopefully allow him to expand his role and, you know, get more minutes than sort of an end of the rotation kind of guy. I, I agree. I think that it's a skill set that scales down in a role pretty mm-hmm. nicely. Um, Cause I, I mentioned it. Uh, I can't remember who I, Oh, we were talking about Taron Armstrong the other day on draft deeper and how like mm-hmm. he's like a high assist guy, but like they're good assists. We're like, there's some guys that you watch where they've really gaudy assist numbers, but it's because they're dribbling the ball a lot. And like, they're taking a ton of time with the ball. It's like their assist numbers might be really good, but it's like, if you had to fit onto like a different team, I don't know what this really looks like. And I don't have those concerns at all with Hood Shafino, because like you said, like the, the quickness, uh, of the decisions just leads me to believe that if you just need him to make the quick read and not have to to do a lot of the things that he did at Montverde, basically playing as their lead playmaker and lead guard last season, he should be fine. I have beaten this into the ground many times over the years, and I'm going to beat it into the ground again. But watching the season where Rajon Rondo led the NBA in assists for the Sacramento Kings, you know, oh, wow, impressive. Led the league in assists, double-digit assists. And it's like literally just the number of times that I would watch him on a one-on-zero fast break try and throw the ball off the glass because, hey, that's how I get the assist, you know? It's like, yeah. that's not something that I'm concerned about with Jalen Hochefino. And that <laughs> makes it a lot easier to project his fit in an NBA rotation than someone like Rondo, who very quickly went from all NBA type of guy to, oh, you really better find the right role for him because otherwise he's going to hurt your team more than he helps it, even though he's such a spectacular passer. Yeah, that's that's spot on. 
So the next part of Hochefino's skill set that I wanted to talk about here, and you note this in the article, so I'm just going to quote you directly here because I think this is the best way to transition into this. While I just finished raving about Hochefino's passing, part of the reason it's so effective is that he pressures the rim and can finish when he gets there. And that, I think, is a huge part of his package too, especially when we're talking about you know some of his potential weaknesses later on in the episode his ability to get to the basket effectively, to use his handle effectively, to score around the rim. You know, that's also where his 6'6 frame comes in handy, you know, his ability to finish among the trees. You know, the fact that he can put pressure on the rim in addition to his ability to make passes, you know, that will just open up the lanes even wider for him to make those passes. And, you know, something that we talk about quite a bit is, you know, in high school, the windows for passes are pretty big. In college, they're quite a lot smaller. And in the NBA, they're even smaller still, right? So his ability to put pressure on the rim and force defenses to pay attention to him when he's driving the lane because he can get his own, you know, that just opens the door for him to make those kinds of kickout passes that can lead to really high efficiency offense. For sure. Yeah, he just, and like, not to, again, like tight. But it, it does tie back to his passing though is that he has such a good understanding of the leverage that he puts on a defense like he has such a good feel for all right i've gotten past my man i i tricked them i've done this i've used my footwork whatever to get past them and now i'm headed downhill and like here comes the help and now i'm going to wait until the last possible second to dish it off to get somebody else an easier look than i was gonna get um but at the same time yeah like he he's not a crazy athlete like whether it be like vertically, laterally, north, south, whatever way you want to look at it. He's a good athlete. He wouldn't be as highly touted of a recruit if he was like a subpar athlete. Um, but his just understanding of pace with his dribble and his footwork really help him get to where he wants on the court. And we talk about footwork a lot, like behind the yeah. scenes, because it's such an underrated skill set. Like I think it's so much easier to just see a guy who's really fast and be like, oh, wow, great first step, great burst. Like they're going to get to the rim. Um, whereas you look at a lot of guys, like you look at like a James Harden and Luka Doncic, these guys are big and they're strong, um, but they're not always the fastest and their footwork is what enables them to get, get openings and get to their spots. Um, and while Hitchfino is not, you know, powerful in that same sense, he is really good with his dribble and his footwork is really good. And at six, six, if he can put on a little bit more size, which I think he will, um, it's going to be easier for him to get to those spots. Tyler Metcalf, as co-host of the NBA Deep Dives podcast, would mention footwork. Basically, every podcast, we got to the point where it was almost a drinking game. Yeah. Hey, Metcalf mentioned footwork. So I'm glad you're picking yeah. up the tradition here of making sure that we cover footwork you know, as early on in the podcast as possible. But I think that's <laughs> a huge part of it. I mean, especially with some of the weaknesses that Hochefino has, you know, his ability to have such a well-diversified game around the basket, you know, really opens up his playmaking, as you mentioned. And something else that it opens up is, I think, a really interesting part of his game, which is his mid-range scoring. And, Mm -hmm. you know, let's just get the elephant out of the room quickly because we're definitely going to touch on it later. But I think it's relevant here. His biggest weakness at this point is his three-point shooting. It is. Without question. Which looks even stranger in light of just how effective he is in the mid-range, not just as a post-up guy, but also as a mid-range jump shooter. And, you know, he makes mid-range pull-ups from 18 to 20 feet pretty consistently, and his form looks pretty good on them. So it's the kind of thing where, on the one hand, it makes me hopeful that he can figure out the three-point shooting sooner rather than later. 
On the other hand, it is kind of strange that he is as effective as he is in the mid-range game with that big hole in his game being his shooting from like literally three feet further out than his favorite spots in the mid-range. Yeah, it's very odd. It is very odd. Like there is so much like the two the two NBA teams I watch the most are the 76ers. That's who I'm like the biggest a, a, a biggest fan of as far as NBA teams goes. And the Bulls, because I'm I'm in Chicago, I watched a lot of Bulls growing up. They're always on local TV. Um, so it's very convenient to not have to boot up Lee Pass to throw in a Bulls game. Um, there is like I, I like this is such a gaudy comparison, but like there are things he does where it's like, oh, that looks like something DeMar DeRozan does. And he's never, he's probably never going to be as effective or efficient in the mid-range as DeMar DeRozan. Uh, but just in terms of his, his smoothness, his fluidity, his ability to, you know, lunge dramatically in one direction to get himself space in the mid-range, get off a shot, change the angle of the type of shot, whether it's, you know, a, a high trajectory ball that goes way over to defender or a more traditional shot. Like he is so polished in that part of the court that to me, it just feels like I'm waiting for the shoe to drop with the three point shot. Like I, it feels inevitable to me and I could be completely wrong. We could be sitting here a year from now and he might be going back to school because he struggled so bad from beyond the arc. Like that is a distinct possibility uh, that does exist. And, you know, it'd be foolish to, to write it off. Um, but I, I've just never seen somebody so polished in the mid range that like could not shoot at all from three. And even a guy like DeMar DeRozan last couple of years, like when he takes him, I, I don't think his percentages like, like off the top of my head are, are too bad from that range. So I feel like the three-point shooting is an inevitability because he hits so many tough shots in the mid-range. Um, but just what he's able to do there in terms of, yeah, his mechanics, the high release, the elevation he gets just off the ground, uh, it's, it's all really pretty for him in that area of the court. I'm really glad that you mentioned DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan is genuinely one of the best mid-range scorers that we've had literally in NBA history. Like, maybe that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Out. It sounds like hyperbole coming out of my mouth, but I mean, it's genuinely true. I mean, for the entirety of his career, if DeMar DeRozan gets the ball 15 feet away from the basket, you know, he's going to put that shot up at a higher rate than pretty much anybody in NBA history besides like Michael Jordan, pretty much. And he's going to knock them down more efficiently than pretty much anybody else in NBA history. And it is fascinating to use him as a comparison for Hood Shafino because, you know, the three point shot never really became that much of a part of DeMar DeRozan's game, but because he was so incredibly efficient at a shot that NBA defenses more and more are willing to allow to opposing teams you know, that's basically how DeMar DeRozan made himself into an all-NBA type player. And the similarity that I think is critical between DeRozan and Huchofino, and again, yeah, I genuinely believe that DeMar DeRozan is one of the best mid-range scorers we've ever seen. So, you know, that's a very yes. high bar to try and meet. But, you know, I think the biggest thing there that they have in common between them is the diversity of looks that they can get from 15 feet. You know, if mm-hmm. you have DeMar DeRozan posting you up from 15 feet, you know, he can go to the turn around fadeaway. He can spin and attack the basket. He can, you know, fake one way, put it back over the other shoulder. You know, he has such a diversity of moves from that sort of 15 feet range that, you know, you don't know which way to go. And that's when he gets you up in the air, you know, gets himself to the line or gets easy fadeaway jumpers. And that's something that he has in common with Hood Shafino, or rather something that Hood Shafino has in common with him is just the myriad of different ways that they can hurt you from the mid-range, you know, allows him, I mean, it allows him to open up the rest of his scoring game, but it's also just that you can't guard him in any one way when he's posting up like that. And, 
you know, to link back to the playmaking again, I mean, his ability to presumably take on smaller guys in the NBA, you know, if you put him in as one of your guards and he can get a mismatch, you know, against a 6'2 guy, he could bully that guy to the basket. He can, you know, create passes out of those post-up opportunities. And, you know, that's not something that NBA teams really rely on outside of their star players. But, I mean, if Huchifino does sort of reach the absolute ceiling of his capabilities, I think a huge part of it is going to be his ability to just destroy teams in the mid-range like DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, I think, yeah, the the ability to generate different looks in that area, and then what they can do as playmakers in that area of the court, too, it's like, it's just something that they have in common. And I, I like, as I say in the article, I hate player comparisons. I feel like they're so dangerous to do, but yeah, like the way that they operate in those areas of the court are similar. How that's going to scale up is going to be interesting. Like whether or not it still looks the same when he's at Indiana um, and whether or not he can just continue to move that shot out is is going to be interesting to see. But yeah, it's it's such a lofty comparison at the same time that it's, yeah, it's it's, it's hard to wrap your head around in some ways. Well, let's move on from the lofty comparison to an area where we can certainly positively compare Jalen Hochefino to DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. That was unnecessarily cruel, but you know what? We'll go. No, it. it's fair though. You got you got to do it. So, Jalen Hochefino's on-ball defense. You start off this section with a very spicy hot take that. I'm not sure I quite agree with, but I do okay. understand where you're coming from. So why don't you hit us with it? Your thoughts on Jalen Hood-Shafino's on-ball defense. I think he's possibly the best on-ball defender when we're talking about incoming freshmen in this class, um, especially when it comes to like guard defense. Like if we're just talking about like covering guards specifically, um, I think he's up there. Um, I think there are guys like the, the Everyone, basically everyone with the last name Mitchell is in that conversation as well. Uh, there's a lot of guys that, that you could throw out there, but I, I think that just in terms of consistency, he's up for the top. I think his only sort of rougher on ball plays. I wasn't even sure were his fault because they were like situations where the defense would be rotating. It seemed like there was miscommunication and he might get blown by, but he was really covering somebody that somebody else was supposed to be covering. Uh, but I, I really like what he does on the ball. Uh, the, the basic competitive rah-rah, he plays with fire, all that is there. Uh, but just from a technical standpoint, super light on his feet, glides really easily, and very good moving backwards. Um, he's not a guy who, like, if you beat him, he's going to, you know, stumble, not be able to recover, uh, get his feet crossed up. He's just seamless uh, and, and moves very easy in every direction. Um, really smart about funneling players to just bad spots, whether it be, you know, a rim protector when he's playing with Dylan Mitchell or, um, just forcing them to like ugly, like corner parts of the court. Um, like the shallow mid range in the corners and just kind of like making him pick the ball up sort of behind the basket, but on the baseline, 10 feet from the basket. He's just really good about forcing people into inconvenient places. Um, and he's got great hands. His hands are phenomenal. Uh, really good about just seizing the moment. The second somebody dribbles in front of themselves or, you know, gets too sloppy with their dribble and it gets away from them, he he knocks those out of the park. So uh, in terms of footwork, hands, and just awareness of where his teammates are on the court and making sure he gets guys in the right spot, uh, I, I just love what he has to offer. 
So I am a sucker for players with great hands on the defensive end. It's why mm-hmm. I've bought into Kadari Richmond way too much over the past two years, and I've suffered a bit for that. But, you know, sometimes when, you know, guys get into the passing lanes and are just that good at forcing turnovers, it's it's hard it's hard to ignore. And certainly Hood Shafino has among the best hands of this freshman class. I think that there are some players that have slightly better athletic tools than him. That's not to say Hood Shafino is a bad athlete by any means, but I mean, if I were to put him up against, say, Keontae George, you know, I think that Keontae is someone who, you know, moves his feet a little better, certainly has better vertical athleticism. But with Hood Shafino, I think the hands are key to mention just, you know, in the sense that, especially if I'm thinking about him as someone who might be sort of more of a positionless player at the NBA level rather than like a pure point guard you know, his ability to disrupt passing lanes is going to be, I think, a pretty big part of that. And that's certainly something that pops on the film when watching him defend on the ball. Yeah, I really like what he can do in those kind of situations. I do think the vertical athleticism is like sort of the one, I wouldn't call it like a problem area because I think his length does enough for him. And I don't think he's like totally like devoid of vertical athleticism. But that is one area where like when he he does a good job of like staying big. Like his arms are always up and out when he's around the basket. But if he was able to just explode leap a little bit better, I think you'd probably, I mean, you definitely see higher block numbers. His block numbers aren't big at all, Um, but you definitely like add another element. If he could be more of like an on ball presence around the rim, when guys do get a better, better turn on him headed to the basket. Yeah, I don't think he's a bad vertical athlete per se, but he's not an elite vertical athlete. And I think that's what distinguishes him in my mind from the Keontae Georges and honestly, even the Nick Smith juniors of the world in terms of, you know, potential to be an on-ball menace. Because I just don't, I've never, maybe I, like maybe she need to watch her film on him. With Keontae, I feel like I've never really gotten the vertical stuff with him. Like, I feel like he's such a brick wall. um, And I think he's really good about like making sure he puts his chest on guys so he can't get anywhere. Uh, like, I think he probably walls off better than Hood Shafino does. Um, but yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, maybe I just need to dive in more because I never felt like he's like a crazy vertical athlete. Yeah, I feel like maybe I'm just, you know, going off a few plays where when he does load up and, you know, he can really get up there when he does load up. It's just, eh, you know, sometimes doesn't quite do that. But again, that's, I think, something that he can do a little bit better than mm-hmm. Huchifino, whereas, you know, maybe Huchifino is better yeah, at staying vertical. And he has a couple inches on him, too, which, you know, that also yeah. really helps in regards to these things. Well, like to your point, though, like if you've seen Keontae Jorchi that a few times, I've watched a ton of Huchifino and like I've never, yeah, like I haven't seen that. So it, that's fair. So let's move on to the other part of defense and go with his off-ball defense. And <laughs> you apologized for the line in the article in the No Ceiling. <laughs> so I won't spoil that for any of you here, but I will just say that the line is accompanied by a gif that if the line upset you, the gif will make everything all better. But let's you know not talk about gifs and lines that maybe upset people, but actually talk about his off-ball defense. And this, I think, goes back to some of the best parts of his playmaking, which is just his awareness on the court, his awareness of where everybody is, where everybody needs to be. And speaking of points that I've hammered to death, I mean, one of my favorite clips of any young NBA prospect ever was a defensive possession in Tyrese Halliburton's rookie year with the Kings when 
you know, the Kings were lining up for an out-of-time-out play, and Tyrese Halliburton literally just shoves Buddy Heald in the right direction of where he needs to go. And that's just a moment where it's like, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is a rookie who knows so much better where not just he's supposed to be on the court, but where everybody's <laughs> supposed to be on the court. And, you know, mm-hmm. granted, the defensive awareness of Buddy Heald is not exactly a highlight for any prospect video that anybody's going to bring up anytime soon, but... It's that kind of thing where you see in, you know, a teenager, I mean, Tyrese, I think was 20 at the time. So, you know, huge difference there, but, you know, seeing that kind of thing in a teenager where they already know not only where they're supposed to be on the court, but where everybody else is supposed to be on the court. That's the kind of thing that makes me really buy into just the kind of defensive piece that Jalen Huchifino can be at the next level, because, you know, the on-ball defense is one thing, but his ability to pair that, you know, not just the effort and the intensity on the ball, but also the awareness and understanding of where he's supposed to be and where everybody else is supposed to be. That is incredibly impressive for a prospect of his age. Yeah, it was it was almost like odd because you would see plays specifically where a team would drive and force rotations on Montverde and like so many guys would just be lost because it's high school basketball. Like high school basketball players, like even the best ones, like, it's a lot. It's new to be playing against like in the, I think what people like don't understand. And I try to like communicate this to people that don't watch a lot of like high school film, the coaching on some of these NIBC like, teams is like really sophisticated. Like some of these teams are running like high level college NBA type of offensive sets. And when that's happening and then like a rotation is forced, that's a lot for a lot of these players who like their whole life have just been the best offensive player and coaches just kind of let them go. And now all of a sudden you need to learn how to play defense and it can be really overwhelming. And he does such a good job of just knowing where to be, knowing what's coming, picking up on plays that teams run, knowing like, okay, well, I saw, I saw the last time down court when you came off of this screen, this is how you do it. And this is where they pass you the ball. So I know I need to be here when that pass comes versus where I was last time. Like his ability to just, know what has happened and then how to play off of it from there it's spectacular Uh, he's just he's really smart the feel is tremendous and he like something I, I pay a ton of attention to is when defenses have to scramble or rotate like how well do you cover ground what do your strides look like are you taking big long ones and are you getting there fast or are you kind of choppy and is it because if you're choppy is it because like it's just how you move or is it because like you're not really sure where you need to go Huchifino knows exactly where to go and he goes there with intent uh I love how he punishes lazy and bad passes anytime someone throws something looping across the court he just knows that it's his uh and I I absolutely adore that about his game but yeah again just wise beyond his years on that side of the ball and aggressive but aggressive without making a lot of mistakes like there, there are very few times that I saw film where it's like, oh man, he really chased that steal and, and paid for it. Which when we're talking about young perimeter defenders, we see that so often. It's so easy to think that you can get a steal and then get an easy dunk off of it. And you can't and, and you pay for it. And that's just a reality of, of basketball when you're talking about players that young. But Hood Shafino does a great job of avoiding that. Something that Tyler Metcalf and I have talked about frequently last season was how I was stunned by just how exceptional Kendall Brown was as a cutter on the offensive end and Mm -hmm. just how absolutely lost he looked trying to anticipate and defend cuts on the defensive end. Yeah. And it stuns me when, you know, he's so good at knowing how to anticipate those angles on the offensive end. and just can't do it at all on the defensive end. And 
with Huchifino, it's almost, it makes me buy into his defense more seeing just how diametrically opposite that is for him, where, you know, the understanding that you can clearly see with him on the offensive side when he's making plays clearly comes through in his ability to understand positioning on the defensive end, understand, you know, okay, what is going to be the hit ahead pass that they're going to make here? How do I jump in front of that? How do I, you know, position myself to cut off the driving lanes once that, once that pass is made? I mean, there are so many players who can make that translate on one side of the ball, but not the other. And it's really impressive that Huchifino can already do both. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that is, I think one area just from an evaluation standpoint, that's always obscenely difficult is when you're talking about a guy to, to use your example again, of Kendall Brown, where it's there on one side of the end and it's not on the other. It's well, then we have to ask ourselves, like, is that an effort thing? Do they just not know on that side? Like what, what's going on with Huchifino? It's just really obvious that he has a tremendous understanding of the game on, on both sides of the floor. Um, something else that I, I really like about him is that because of these turnovers that he gets, he gets so many off the live ball that like he creates a ton of transition opportunities for his yeah. team, which when you're talking about a guy who like doesn't have the best jump shot and like, it's a little unclear what his off ball role would be in an offense. If the shot doesn't come along, like, just being able to get those easy points for his team is a great thing that's going to help him stay on the court if he's struggling in those areas at all. The numerical statistic that translates most directly from college or international basketball to the NBA is steal rate. It's something like a 90% rate of if you get a lot of steals in college or in the Euro league, you're going to get a lot of steals in the NBA. And you know, not to go back to the Russell Westbrook well again, but sometimes you get a lot of those steals by recklessly gambling and, you know, leaving yeah. to pick up the slack. And sometimes, like, say, Tari Eason or Jalen Hochefino, you get those steals by, you know, anticipating passes and jumping passing lanes and getting your team out in transition. And, you know, pretty much the most efficient way you can score in the NBA, other than getting the free throw line, is by getting out in transition and getting easy layups and dunks. And, you know, Jalen Hitchfino mm-hmm. not only can sort of orchestrate in transition, but he can also get his team out in transition by using his exceptionally quick hands and his awareness of where the ball is going to be on the defensive end. Yeah, yeah, because I think I liked in the film that he he's a pretty good rebounder for a size two. So, like, he is a guy who can grab and go. But it's nice that when you can also just, yeah, pick off the ball in a live, live ball situation and not have to worry about like, okay, well I've got the rebound, but the defense is already back and getting set. Like grabbing and going is, is tough. And I think that it's a little harder to scale up than people might give it credit for. Um, so yeah, when you're able to just create those transition looks off of a steal, it's, it's much, much easier. You've got ahead of steam. The defense is not really able to recover, especially when you intercept passes on the perimeter, the way that he does, they're just great scoring opportunities and they're taking away a possession from the other team. So we mentioned his weakness as a three-point shooter in passing earlier, but I want to look at that in a more positive light here, which is, you know, you mentioned sort of the missing piece for Hochefino. You know, if only he could figure out that three-point shooting, it will open so much of the rest of his game. And, you know, we talked about how, you know, it's a bit surprising that he can make those 18-footers with such consistency, but struggles a bit with his consistency from three-point range. So, you know, before we sort of get into projections for him, you know, thinking about what that missing piece might be, what were your thoughts on what you saw from Huchfino's three-point shooting when you went back and looked at the film? Yeah, so it's mechanically kind of fine. Like, I'm not a shot doctor, but there isn't anything too blatantly obvious. It did feel like on occasion um his hand positioning might be a little weird like it feels like he might be kind of like shooting more off his index finger 
at times, which like, again, we're, we're talking about high school film. It's not the cleanest film to look at, but um, yeah, like there can be like, a bit of an odd spin on it. And it looks like it can come off as a dex finger, but that's not there in the mid range. And it's not there all the time on his three either. So, uh, and, and there's also like games where he, you know, goes to take the, one of his mid range type shots and he ends up just taking it from behind the three point line off the dribble and he hits it. So, I think the reason to be optimistic is that we know that he can put together pull-up mechanics cleanly, and that's generally much harder to do uh, than just shooting off the catch. Um, and the fact that like there are clips of him hitting clean shots out of the corner, he's hit some pull-up threes, and he was guarded pretty tight. A lot of these missed threes aren't shots where he's just standing wide wide open completely alone like i i know uh friend of the site troll bro dude talks about how like isaac okoro takes the most just wide open threes in the league uh th- that wasn't totally the case with hood so i think that's another reason to be optimistic is like he's not totally ignored on the perimeter either yeah and i mean honestly going back to the rajan rondo well again here just being guarded out there is a huge part of it. I mean, like if you're left wide open and you knock down 30% of your two, three points a game and, you know, everybody completely ignores you like, okay, congratulations. You've knocked down a couple of shots from long range, but you've done absolutely nothing to help the spacing and flow of your offense. And that's where I think Jalen Huchifino's pull up shot is really important to talk about here because a lot of times when you're talking about players who aren't three point shooters, it's, okay, can we just get this guy PJ Tucker style slash Jameer Nelson style? If you know, you know, but, you know, just get him to be able to knock down shots from the corners. You know, it's like, okay, take a thousand corner three point shots because we are never going to ask you to shoot from the top of the key. We are never going to ask you to shoot from the wing, just on those plays where you don't have the ball in your hands, you know, stand in the corner, cut to the rim if you can. Otherwise just try and at least hit like 35% of those corner threes so that you provide some kind of spacing to the offense. You know, with Huchifino, the fact that his mid-range pull-up already looks so good is, you know, it leads to the kind of idea where, you know, if he does sort of get his three-point shot down, it's going to be a versatile three-point shot, right? It's going to be the kind of thing where he yeah, yeah. his way into looks. It's going to be the kind of thing where, you know, if he's left wide open in a high pick and roll, he's going to have the confidence to be able to just pull up and take it from the top of the arc. You know, a lot of times when we're talking about guys who don't have shots, it's because the shot is broken or because they just don't ever shoot outside of like 10 to 15 feet. And with Huchifino, you know, because he's such an effective mid-range pull-up shooter, I think certainly there's a lot of reason for optimism that if he does develop his three-point shot beyond where it is at this point, you know, it's not just going to be the 30% on two attempts per game when you're left just absolutely wide open on the wing or at the top of the arc or in the corner. Yeah, and I think you mentioning the pull up too it really kind of got my gears turning. Like the fact that if he, if you know, like he can take one or two dribbles and pull up, it does change the way that you have to close out on him. And I'm not saying that guys are like you. It, it's good to blow by and chase him off the line. Like I'm not <laughs> saying that. But if you can't just like stunt, and you know, like okay, well, if he takes one or two dribbles, like he he might actually make it. Then you do have to close out with like some level of gusto, and you are going to be able to be more balanced because he's not you know, a a total blow by threat or anything like that. But at the same time, if you can just draw a little bit more respect out of the defense, that is going to make a big difference when it comes to being able to pressure the rim, uh, being able to penetrate and get paint touches and get other guys open. So uh, the other thing to touch on too, is that he took 3.8 per game in high school. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think 
And granted, like he had a lot of freedom. Everyone on Montford had freedom. When you're that good of a team and you win a lot of games by 20 points, you get freedom. But uh, at the same time, I don't think he would be taking fourth, given like how much we've raved about what a smart player he is. I don't think he would take 3.8 threes per game if he was like, oh, this is killing my team when I take these yeah. threes. Uh, and something that a lot of people have talked about, like Mike Prater wrote a book about it. Uh, and he, he had a famous article about Marcus Smart about it. And Caitlin Cooper talks about it a lot is the idea of like, fake it by taking it like just make teams think they've got to close out by just taking the threes when they're there. And I, and the, in a Bulls game the other day, Javante green did the same thing. He's not a three point shooter at all, but one trip down court, he took it corner three when it was there, he missed the next time down court, went to take a corner three defender, close out on him. He blew by, got to the free throw line, made both of his free throws. So just by being willing to take those shots, you can create better openings for yourself. And in Hojfino's case, when you can pass like he can for your teammates as well. So I think that's another reason to just like feel good about what he's going to provide as an off ball spacer, even if you don't really buy the jump shot from three. So we're going to transition over in a minute to talking about some of the quick hits at the end of your prospect overview article on Jalen Hojfino. But is there anything else that we have not said about Jalen Hood Shafino that you want to bring up here before we move on to the closing segment? Yeah, I I want to close out by saying I think that the range of outcomes is and this is so like I hate to I hate to make comments about players before they've played a game against higher level competition. It's but tough. if he really if he scales up the way that I expect him to, I think that even if he's like I put this in the article, like 27% from three. I think there's a place for him in the NBA. Like, I think that is like, I I don't think the bar needs to be that high right away. If it takes him some time, it takes him some time. Um, But I think just given everything else he does, if he can just hit around that type of a mark on similar volume to what he did in high school, that's like a good, a good trajectory for him. I think he would be fine and he could play in the NBA uh, and get to a second contract if that's what he's looking like his freshman year of college. Uh, I think if he is a like respectable, like 33% three point shooter, uh, you're looking at somebody that, you know, could be, you know, mid, mid to late first round. And if he's like a great three point shooter, I think, like there's a world where he could sneak into like the top six, top seven of this draft. If he, if he like, comes out this year and he's like knocking down threes, if he's like 38%, given everything else he does, like that's the type of prospect that we're talking about. So, um, it's important to be patient. It doesn't all have to happen this year. And I think even if he has a subpar year from three, but the confidence is there, this is a guy that's still worth being really excited about. All right. So before we wrap things up here on the first deep dives episode on the no ceilings NBA feed, I wanted to go through the quick hits at the end of this article. And really, I just wanted to go through one quick hit in particular. <laughs> yeah. Is- Another prospect in this class that we very strongly agree on, Nikola Jurisic, who, man, I have such a weakness for big playmakers who put up numbers in EuroLeague, and that's why I was the lone man on Nikola Jovic Island last season. And I don't know. I mean, Nathan Grubel said that that looked like a... David Grubel said that looked like a good call. So, you know, as soon as he said that, I felt fully justified in all of my uh, Nikola Jovic type. But... Let's go to another Nicola who plays for Mega, whatever their name is now. Soccer bet? Is it something? Like- I don't know. I feel like they changed again. again. Yeah, they, oh, they've okay. been different like three times recently. Mega. We I'm can just call them Mega. That part hasn't yeah, changed. Right? 
Yep. Yeah. It's always mega, mega leaks, mega, mega soccer bet, mega Mozart. That was, that was a classic. That was my favorite. That was my favorite. That was the best one. Yeah. Yeah. They should go back to that. But anyway, talking about the actual prospect instead of the team here, again, you mentioned him as a quick hit at the end. He is someone who I think will compete as one of the top international guys in this class, not named Victor Wembanyama. And the place to start with that, you know, it's kind of honestly similar to Hichifino in the idea that he is someone who you can conceivably throw out there as a connecting type piece. You know, maybe he's not the lead engine of your offense, but he's someone who, if he gets the ball, you can rely on him to make a good decision and get the ball to the guy who's either most likely to score themselves or, you know, kick it to the open man down the line. And especially when you're talking about someone with his size at six, eight, that's immensely valuable in the modern NBA. Yeah. That to me is like what really puts him over the top. Um, these guys just don't miss. Like it seems like the last couple of years, yeah. there've been guys where it just feels like they're not NBA players, but they're big and they have feel and they pan out. Like Trenton Watford was another one. Like he was the guy where it's like, Oh man, like I really hope Trenton Watford sticks. Like he's, he's such a fun player. And like, now look at him. Like he's, he's an NBA player. Uh, same thing with a guy like Delano Banton. Like these, these big high field players just tend to work out, even if they're not, you know, starters, even if they're not, you know, even guys that, that play as a part of regular rotation, they're guys that play on every NBA team because it, it worst case in a pinch, it's a guy that you feel pretty good throwing out on the court. And uh, that's just where I'm at with Juricic right now. I think that even in like in a worst case scenario, like he hasn't been the most efficient this year so far, even if that efficiency doesn't come around, it's like, well, we've just seen this too many times <laughs> to like yeah. not at least have like a solid grade on a guy like this. And we know there's usually only about 23 guys or so that, that pan out in each draft class. So I'm, I'm really into him. I love what he does as a playmaker. Another guy is just like super polished footwork, really good playmaking. Um, I'm, I'm really, really pleased with what I've seen. And I think that the floor is very high with him. What are your thoughts on his defense? Because I feel like I've seen more bad from good, more bad than good from him, but also that every once in a while, he shows me that there might be something in there that it's not just going to be a pure offense type guy. If he can figure it out, but the bad moments do worry me. Yeah. I don't think it's terrible. I think he should be like, okay on that end in time. Um, pulling up some, some notes on it. Cause there was something that really popped out to me on his defense the other day. And I'm trying to pull that up. Oh, it's yeah. The, the struggling against counters is the big thing. Like, I feel like when it's just straight up a guy like going at him or it's a basic pick and roll situation, that's when he's okay. It's when people like throw multiple things at him in combination that it seems like he just kind of gets lost and has a hard time keeping up. Uh, at the same time, I think that the fact that he's pretty strong uh, helps him quite a bit. And I think his balance and his stance are pretty good. It feels like he's never like really toppling one way or another on closeouts. Um, but yeah, the counter moves thing was the one that really bugged me the other day watching him. It's funny because I'm thinking back to us talking about Kendall Brown 15 minutes ago, where it's like, you know, yeah, yeah. That he's so good at just, you know, using his footwork to just fake guys out of their shoes. And then on the other side, it's like, Maybe you shouldn't bite at the first pub fake. You know, maybe maybe wait till the second. <laughs> yeah, all up in the air. You know. Hmm. Yeah, it's spot on. I think that his like vision off the ball is pretty solid. I think it like 
I feel like I haven't seen, and again, like we were early in the year and I did not watch a ton of him like prior to the start of this ABA season. Um, I feel like his awareness is pretty solid off the ball. Like I feel like he's not just getting completely torched and back cut and things like that, which is okay. But yeah, it just seems like overall, like the more you throw at him, the harder time he has. All right, that will do it for the first Deep Dives episode here on the No Ceilings NBA feed. Maxwell, thank you so much for joining me as we kick this podcast off. So anything to plug before we go? Throw them all out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please subscribe to the NBA No Ceilings, the uh, no Ceilings NBA podcast feed if you have not already. Uh, we're all here. So get on board with it. Subscribe. We're giving you fresh stuff every single day. Uh, I'm on Twitter at boundboards, B-A-U-M, and then the word boards, like draft boards. Uh, go check out my Hood Shafino piece if you haven't already. It's it's a great companion piece with this podcast. Uh, so definitely give that a read. And then uh, next week, we're, we're doing some writing on Jalen Wilson. So stay tuned for that. Uh, real interesting player. Uh, I feel like a guy who has a wide range of outcomes, but I'm pretty optimistic uh, heading into the year. So go check that out uh, when that comes out next week. But just stay tuned to everything we're doing at No Ceilings. We've got a lot going on this year. We're coming out of the gate hot. I'm, I'm just super fired up for year two. All right. Well, he is Maxwell Baumbach. As he said, you can find him on Twitter at Boundboards, and you can find his Jalen Hood Shafino article on No Ceilings NBA. And of course you can find us at No Ceilings NBA, and you can find all of us on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. As Maxwell mentioned, you can find me on Twitter at NBA johnson and you can of course also find my work on the hashtag basketball website i will be releasing the first sleeper deep dives article of the season tomorrow by the time all of you are hearing this i'm going to be writing about chris murray out of iowa because last year i started the year with a sleeper deep dive on the younger brother of a king's top five draft pick so i have to repeat the cycle again this year so really looking forward to diving in on Chris Murray's film and seeing how he might prove himself as a potential first round pick down the line. So again, to all of you who have been longtime listeners to the NBA Deep Dives podcast, thank you ever so much for being a fan, for listening to the podcast and for hopefully following us over here to the new feed. But that will do it for the first episode of the Deep Dives podcast. So if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.